MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, July 15th, 2021. Today, Senate Dems reach a $3.5 trillion budget deal to cover Biden's agenda. More than 150 companies are backing new voting rights bills. Senator Schumer plans to propose legislation to decriminalize cannabis, and several top officials are working on voting rights bill filibuster carve-outs. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hello. Hello, my friend. Another day in the news, and we're all still alive. It's a good day when you wake up in the morning. Ah, <laughs> uh, Yeah. There is a lot of news today, and a lot of things that have panned out the way that we thought they were going to pan out, which is pretty cool. And later in the show, I'm going to be talking to the author of a new book, Becoming Heroines, Elizabeth Cronice McLaughlin. Really incredible book. Stick around for that discussion. It drops on Tuesday, July 20th. You can pre-order it now, wherever you get books, wherever you get books. (laughs) And it's also, (laughs) uh, there's going to be an audio version as well. We do have quite a few headlines to hit. So let's do that. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. Lead story today is from Politico. Top Senate Democrats are finally in array on a $3.5 trillion price tag for their party's momentous social spending plans. Their next task will be even tougher, selling it to the rest of the Democrats. (laughs) The massive top line number at the Senate Budget Committee Democrats released Tuesday night affords plenty of room to spend on President Joe Biden's priorities from child care to fighting climate change. But just because Senate Budget Chair Bernie Sanders climbed down from his initial hopes of a $6 trillion spending plan doesn't mean that his fellow progressives will climb up (laughs) to uh, or, well, (laughs) that his fellow progressives will fall in line and that moderates will climb up to meet it, I should say. Because on the other end of the party, there are leery moderates who want to see as much of the bill paid for as possible. Further complicating the Democrats' goals, a bipartisan group of senators with the Republicans has yet to release a legislative text for their $1 trillion infrastructure deal that won Biden's endorsement last month. This is a bill that would move separately, but could be crucial to the success of the partisan budget blueprint. To achieve both goals at once would require political agility of Olympic proportions. But I think it can be done because I think Biden's sort of setting up a trap here for the Republicans because Republicans have said, oh, if you're going to do this other three point five, six trillion dollar thing, but now three point five trillion dollar thing, we're not going to do the thing that we wrote. And if they do that, then they're going to have to run in 2022 as not having voted on any bridges or infrastructure or highways or roads. And they already didn't vote on money in American pockets. That means they're (laughs) kind of behind the eight ball here. Well, at least Don Jr. is. I'm not sure about the Senate. but (laughs) (laughs) Behind a different guy to eight ball altogether. But yeah, so it it could end up really bad for them if they agree to nothing and Democrats get it all done themselves, which might be the plan. But even as they closed in on their budget agreement, Democrats in the Senate knew that the deal among budget panel members wouldn't guarantee support among the entire caucus of Democrats. Biden's appearance at their Wednesday lunch meeting is aimed to help this along. Manchin says he's open to it. But again, this is really just political theater. Allow me to direct you to something I tweeted June 29th, right? 16 days ago. I said, "Mm, pretty basic negotiating tactic. Start with three trillion. Republicans will want one trillion. 
We say no, and Dems will do an uh, only budget reconciliation thing without the Republicans for $6 trillion. Then we negotiate with centrist Dems, and it ends up being back to $3 trillion, the $3 trillion you wanted in the first place. If that's not new math, I don't know what is, Allison. <laughs> but here we are at $3.5 trillion, and if Manchin and Cinema want it to come down to $3 trillion, I will have been exactly right. Which will not be the first time, and it's not going to be the last. <laughs> so it's going to be an interesting few weeks. We'll see how it goes. But that that's my beans. We're going to end up with a $3 trillion deal. The Republicans might back out of their $1 trillion deal. So we might go up to $4 trillion and subsume that in a budget reconciliation bill. But who knows? We'll see what happens. Ay, what a pain. And now I'm taking you over to voting rights. More than 150 companies, including PepsiCo, Amazon and Target, threw their support behind updating the Voting Rights Act in a letter released Wednesday. So the signatories, all U.S. employers, urged Congress to enact the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, legislation that would restore a key provision of the 1965 law that was stripped out by the Supreme Court in 2013. McConnell always forgets to talk about that. The bill would again require jurisdictions with a history of discrimination to get permission from the Department of Justice to make changes to their elections, using an updated formula to determine those jurisdictions. So the letter made no mention of Republican efforts to tighten voting rules across the country after the former guy, when he lost and lost bad, focusing instead on, quote, deep inequities exposed by 2020's contest in how our elections are run, which I think is very smart to focus on that and not the other. Mm. Another quote, despite decades of progress, impediments to exercising the right to vote persist in many states, especially for communities of color. We need federal protections to safeguard these fundamental rights for all Americans. And the president, uh, Mr. Biden, who basically has faced growing pressure from Democratic activists and even close allies to more aggressively push the issue of voting access, repeated his call for Congress to pass those bills in a speech on Tuesday. So he's still behind it. He's getting behind it. He's being as loud as he can. And uh, hopefully they'll figure this out. They need to figure out how to gut this filibuster to be able to pass this. Yeah. And they're having hearings on how to rewrite that part of the 65 Voting Rights Act that was gutted so that this Supreme Court can't gut it again. Otherwise, if it's the same, they'll just do the same thing. I mean, it's even more conservative Mm -hmm. now than it was before. And rumor has it Vice President Harris suggested she has talked to senators about exceptions to the legislative filibuster but said she will not publicly negotiate an issue that the White House insists it is up to lawmakers, right? And this is her talking to NPR on Tuesday. She says, I believe that of all the issues that they can take up, the right to vote is the right that unlocks all other rights. And she said, for that reason, it should be one of the highest priorities. Pressed as to whether she's advocating that senators support a carve out to the filibuster for voting rights. Hmm. <clears throat> Where have we heard that? Mm-hmm. Proposed by James Clyburn. Harris said, I don't mean this in any offense, but I'm not going to negotiate this way. But I'm certainly having conversations with folks. The vice president did not clarify whom she's talked to about voting rights. I know who it is, but (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and do this right now. I'm going to go ahead and put beans on Dems carving out a filibuster exception for voting rights and getting it done, hopefully in a rewritten way that the Supreme Court won't gut again. That is just my feeling. We will see what happens. And all the stress of the filibuster is making people want to get high. And Senator Schumer is going to do his best to make sure that can happen. (laughs) He is actually plans to propose legislation on Wednesday to decriminalize marijuana at the federal level, putting his weight as majority leader behind a growing movement to unwind the decades old war on drugs. Now, the draft bill, and it's called the Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act, would remove marijuana from the Controlled Substances Act and begin regulating and taxing it 
placing federal rules on a burgeoning industry that has faced years of uncertainty. Now, those states would still be allowed to set their own marijuana laws. Businesses and individuals in states that have legalized its use would be free for the first time to sell and consume it without the risk of federal punishment, which is really crazy because you can actually walk down the street in California smoking a joint. But technically, if there's a Fed next to you, he can still arrest you, which is just (laughs) craziness. So the proposal would also try to make recompense to communities of color and the poor for damage from years of restrictive federal drug policy. It's calls for immediately expunging nonviolent marijuana-related arrests and convictions from federal records and would earmark new tax revenue for restorative justice programs intended to lift up communities affected by, quote, the failed federal prohibition of cannabis. Now, the bill aims to finally turn the page on this dark chapter in American history and begin righting these wrongs. And that's what Senator Booker said, our Cory Booker. Now, he wrote the bill with Schumer and Senator Wyden, Democrat of Oregon, and the chairman of the Finance Committee. This legislation faces an uphill battle in the Senate, not shockingly, where Republicans are opposed, and it's unlikely to become law in the near future. Now, President Biden has not endorsed it, and some moderate Democrats are likely to balk at the implications of decriminalizing a drug that has been policed and stigmatized for so long. But in the arc of the public's rapid reconsideration of marijuana laws, The presentation on Wednesday was a remarkable milestone for legislation proponents. So the suggestion that the Senate's top leader and the chairman of the powerful finance committee would sponsor major decriminalization legislation would have been fantastical in the not too distant past. And now they're actually talking about it. This is a this is a big deal. I do think it's interesting. And I don't know, maybe they need to take it up on how much tax this would actually raise for the government to get Republicans to, you know, because they're, they, want, they want to continue putting, you know, the minorities in, in jail. They want to keep this a criminal activity because they get to do their for-profit prisons. But if, you, if they realized how much money would actually be raised in taxing this and making it legal, they, we got to talk their talk. It's the only way to reach them. Yeah. And I think also reminding them that veterans are unable to discuss the, you know, cannabis as a therapy at the Department of Veterans Affairs. And that, you know, that has caused so many deaths. It contributes to the 22 suicides per day with all of the mountains of opioids and benzos and psych meds that are that that we have to use at the Department of Veterans Affairs because cannabis is a schedule one drug. We can't even study. We can't even study it. So that, I think, is another great sort of tact to take. And I hope the Senate Committee on Veterans Affairs uses that as as sort of a kind of a cudgel to to say, hey, what you hate veterans? (laughs) You know, like, right. why do you hate veterans? <laughs> why do you hate our military? To which the Republicans would say, no, we don't. Uh, shut up and then run away. But, yeah. you know, we'll we'll see what happens here. Like, like you know, like they said, I, it's not going to become law anytime soon. But the fact that the Senate majority leader is backing this with some major other Democrats is huge. That's just a, a massive first step. And, and you know, we got to chip away a little bit at a time. Baby steps. I know it mm-hmm. sucks, but. That's how we do it. All right, everybody, we'll be right back with the author of the new book, Becoming Heroines, Elizabeth Cronise McLaughlin. You don't want to miss this discussion. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's Allison. These days, so many products are mass produced quickly and cheaply, designed to be temporary, so we have to keep buying them over and over again. They end up in landfills. It's unsustainable, but it wasn't always this way. We look back to the craftsmanship of yesteryear. We see we used to make things of quality, designed to last. For instance, in the old days, clothes didn't start disintegrating after a year. They were made to last a lifetime. Quality craftsmanship and care is exactly what American Giant wants to bring back. Bayard Winthrop, CEO and founder 
was determined and committed to make the greatest t-shirt ever because he wasn't satisfied with what was on the market. He said, when you spend your time making clothes in the United States, it causes you to think about the great American styles. There's no question the t-shirt is at the top. An American Giant's best-selling premium slub tees iconic silhouette is made the right way with quality care right here in the United States. American Giant stays in close partnership with their suppliers with products built to last, made with custom heavyweight slub fabric that is not see-through and non-torquing unlike other slub tees on the market. American Giant spent over a year obsessing over this fabric. They tested several variations until they found the perfect one. It's rich and varied texture, gives it a unique look, and it holds its shape after wash and wear, and the colors hold up incredibly well. The custom fabric is combined with a tailored fit, and it makes American Giant's premium tee incomparable with other tees on the market. So I love also they're made in Los Angeles, California, with 100% American-grown cotton. They're durable, beautiful, and they fit and feel amazing. So let American Giant play a supporting role in letting your style shine. So you can get your new favorite tees at American-Giant.com today and use promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word, for 15% off your first order. That's 15% off when you use code DAILYBEANS at American-Giant.com. Everybody, welcome back. I am so excited today to be talking to my longtime friend and author of the new book, incredible book called Becoming Heroines, Unleashing Our Power for Revolution and Rebirth. Please welcome Elizabeth Cronice McLaughlin. Elizabeth, hello. Hello. I'm so excited to be back with you. I, Me too. I think the last time we saw each other face to face was when you joined us at the Largo in Los Angeles for a live Muller She Wrote show. Yep. Yeah. And that was extremely fun. And you you were so prescient and pointed. And I think pretty much everything we talked about came to pass. So I have long looked forward to this book because, you know, since we worked together at the Largo, I have been following you and I've been watching your account and I, I've been anticipating this book. And can you just tell us, I know because I've been watching, but tell us what sort of led you to want to write this book. So it's it's kind of an interesting story. You know, when I started doing my broadcast, Resistance Live, back in, I guess it was like the beginning of 2017. It was right after Trump's election. I had been thinking for a while about writing a book, but, you know, my career took this really funky trajectory, much like yours did, right? Where I kind of had been in one path doing leadership and consulting work. And then all of a sudden, all that old political and legal awareness became really relevant. And um, my book agent became a fan of mine and started chasing me, saying like, I really think you have to write a book that lives at this unique nexus that you occupy between the law and politics and women's leadership. And she chased me for two years because I wasn't actually really sure that I was ready. <laughs> um, you know, the idea of writing a whole book is, um, it's a huge endeavor. You know, it's more than I would have imagined even now that I've completed it. I did not use a ghostwriter. I wrote every word of this book myself. And um, I, I, I think that honestly, when I look back at where I was when we put the proposal together in 2018 versus where we are now, um, the timing of this book honestly couldn't be better. It was supposed to come out in the middle of the pandemic and it didn't for a whole host of reasons. Um, and it's now landing, you know, next Tuesday on the 20th of July at exactly the perfect moment for what the book is really all about. So I was interested in writing the book, but I was really led to it by an, by my book agent, Wendy Sherman, who really works with incredible women authors just in general, who said, you have something to offer here that nobody's ever offered before through a lens that's very unique. 
And um, she talked me into it, basically. <laughs> well, you are a thought leader when it comes to these types of things. And it's, it's all got to do with your experience and how it all ties together. And I love this because I can relate to it, right? My time as a musician, my time working for the government, my time as a comedian, and then in podcasting, all sorts of culminating together into a very specific and very important and, like you said, timely moment. And I want to talk a little bit about how everything that you've gone through sort of ties together to put you in this unique position to be a thought leader when we talk about women and revolution and fighting back against the patriarchy, because you have your experience as a young woman. And then we have your work with the Gaia Project for Women's Leadership, which you founded. And then we get into we, we can talk about your work in the trenches as a trial lawyer, which is so different. I feel like women have a different idea, first of all, of justice. We come from a different place, particularly when we talk about when we'll get into this, your experiences as a young woman. And then, you know, of course, now your work as a thought leader and, and doing everything that you do now, kind of tying all that together. So I want to start with your experiences as a young woman and how what has happened to you or what the experiences that you've gone through, I should say, how that lends to this point in time. Yeah. So uh, I've been very candid for a while now, probably at least the last five or six years about the fact that I am a child sex abuse survivor. I talk about it in the book and it was at the hands of someone who was a family therapist who also happened to be a friend of my family, um, someone who I had known for a really long time. And I was groomed over several years before it became what it became. And to me, um, one of the real key turning points in my trajectory with regard to trauma and how we can transmute trauma into power came around 2015 when I was invited to speak at um, an event in Seattle called Urban Campfire. And um, one of the things that I talk about in the book is the fact that, and again, you know, the work of Brené Brown on this is so stellar. So I have to kind of cite her for this, but that shame really festers in silence. And one of the things that we as women are conditioned to by the culture is the idea that when we are victimized, it's our fault right? Or that we should have done something differently or that we are stained or dirty or broken because someone else took out their pathology on us. And I will tell you that for me, the, the invitation by, and I'll just, Melody Berenger, if you don't know her name, you should all go follow her. She's the founder of Urban Campfire and she runs these incredible events in the Seattle area where women get up in private environments and tell their stories and tell the trajectory that they've walked in their lives um, toward uh, where they found themselves now. And th these stories are not pleasant, right? Um, all of us have lived through things that have marked us and challenged us and, um, and changed our trajectories fundamentally. And so the opportunity that Melody gave me to get up and really say out loud for the first time the story of what had happened to me as a tween and a teenager... Um, was a real turning point for me because it took all the layers of the social conditioning around having been molested out of my body, right? It became something that I no longer had to carry around in silence, but that became instead a tool for liberation. And what I mean by that is that, as I talk about in the book, one of the things that's really key about the heroine's journey in general is that what we bring back on every cycle of the journey that we walk is the stories of our own survival. And we share them with one another and we share them with our communities and we share them with 
other people who need to learn the lessons that we've learned. Um, and so for me, the the elimination of that internalized shame um, really allowed me to then step into the role of telling my story, not for the sake of trauma porn, but really for the sake of showing other people that it's possible to walk that path, that you can move through your your trauma and transmute it into things that are powerful. And it loses its control over you by doing that. So that's actually a theme throughout the book to a great degree. Um, because I don't, you know, I'm, I'm really against the idea that we should all hierarchize our trauma in some way. Uh, and simultaneously, I'm aware that I've lived through a lot of things that most people would consider to be very difficult. Um, and, and part of my reason for being here, I actually believe very firmly, um, is to not only thrive in spite of that, but also to show other people that that's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually really think that's one of the reasons why all of the things Things that I've lived through have happened to me because that's part of my purpose. Yeah, and it's 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 interesting you mentioned purpose because this is this is one of the things that actually you know as you know in the 2020 election I was a Warren supporter I was a Warren stan Elizabeth Warren stan as was I mm-hmm, mm-hmm, we talked about it a lot and but I remember when I heard Biden sort of for the first time I opened my ears to listen to Biden talk and he talked about how he took the pain and the trauma of losing his family members. And gosh, he's I mean, so much uh, that he's gone through and transmuted it into purpose. And that really kind of rung a bell with me. And I was like, okay, all right. And and I'm you know, I still love Warren, obviously, but I think I think he's he's risen up to this moment. But that really sat with me. And when you talk about speaking candidly about, you know, with the um, urban campfire and et cetera, and that sort of lit that within you, you know, I can really relate to that because I was in a 2012 Oscar nominated documentary called The Invisible War. It was the first time I told my story to anybody. And and I didn't just tell it to somebody. I told it to the world. Right. And I, I found that, like you said, it takes it outside of ourselves. And then also, you know, we would go on these speaking tours and we would screen this movie and we would answer answer panel questions. But I started to find out just women, lines of women, specifically college age women, who would be like, I didn't even realize that what happened to me wasn't my fault or that this happened to me. I didn't even realize this happened to me. I was just sort of going along, blaming myself, that shame that you're talking about. And that to me was like, whoa, I can have an impact here. And I feel this in this book so hard. And I, I wanted to ask you what it's like now to have, I mean, you've been candid about this, uh, your trauma, your childhood trauma for a long time. But what is it like now to this is going to be on a massive scale where everybody is going to be looking at at this and and hearing your story. And I I wonder kind of what that's like. Is it a compartmentalization thing or do you do you embrace it and use it as a as a guide uh, for others? I mean, what what sort of what sort of feedback do you think you'll be getting uh, for for sharing this so widely? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question because it's certainly true that um, the book weaves stories, my stories, the stories of people that I've worked with, and also, um, you know, stories from our culture even, um, throughout the book, uh, in the context of guiding women through my version of the heroine's journey. Um, and it's, it's definitely the case that with all the advanced press and momentum that the book has gotten, I've definitely had a moment of like, wow, um, more in, and wow, I mean, like, 
like it's exciting and also it's very big. I mean, the good news, and you know what this is like, is that there's something about the world of internet celebrity, right? Where you've you people already know a little bit about you and you've built a platform. And um, I tend to live in a, in a very outward facing kind of way to begin with. Not all of my stuff is on display, but a lot of it is, and I've gotten very comfortable with that to a certain extent. Um, and yet, you know, there are always trolls and people who are interested in using what they see out there in a way that, um, that tears down instead of builds up. And I, I guess the one thing I will say about it is that I'm actually really grateful for the last five years of that sort of public figurehood because it's really built a tougher skin for me in terms of all of this. Um, that said, you know, there is, there is a, a, a sense that I'm walking around with a lot right now that that um, things are about to go to a new level on that front. And what I will say about it is that I have at the bare minimum had conversations with my kids about it. Um, you know, I've had conversations with family members about it and I'm a little more uh, guarded, let's just put it that way, in terms of how I'm operating in the world. Because I got recognized picking my kids up from camp this week, for instance, and I had a moment where I was like, wow, it's going to be really interesting to be face-to-face with, you know, other parents of fourth graders who know, right? Like all the stuff that is in the book. Um, and, you know, we'll see how that, how that walks. But, you know, I mean, I'm, uh, frankly, I, I'm, I'm so behind the purpose of the book and the impact that I think it will have um, that, you know, that, that's actually a part of it. You know, I mean, I, there's a principle in the book that we should all be able to be who we are fully in every aspect of our lives. And if I can't walk that when I'm picking my kids up from camp, as much as I can on a stage in front of 5,000 people giving a speech, like what's the point? Like I gotta, I gotta walk my talk. Right. Yeah. And, and you're right. It's, it's, that's all subsumed in this book. You know, all, all of the trolls here and there, you having built up this thicker skin over the past five years, that's part of the journey. And I think it's a really important part. And then also, you know, being recognized and picked out and having people go, oh, da, da. I mean, I think that's a beautiful opportunity to start these conversations, you know, and to fully, like you say, be who you are and live who you are. And everybody knows it. And that's fine with me. And then, you know, you've, you've <laughs> dealing with these trolls, as I think is part of the system, part of this patriarchy that you talk about. And I want to get into some of the ways that you address that in the book, but I have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Of course. Awesome. Thank you. Everybody will be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG, and this segment of The Beans is brought to you by BetterHelp. They provide licensed professional therapy done online very conveniently. So life is great, but it can be a roller coaster ride. There's ups and downs. We get curveballs all the time. And when speed bumps come up, we don't have to face those challenges by ourselves. So if you're dealing with anything preventing you from living your fullest life, I highly recommend BetterHelp. They provide professional counseling to help you navigate these challenges. It's not a crisis line or self-help. It is licensed professional therapy done securely online. They assess your needs. Then they match you with your own licensed professional therapist, which is free and easy to change if it's not a great match. And you can start communicating in less than 24 hours. You know, I've had my challenges with post-traumatic stress and anxiety, and I know it's hard to ask for help, but BetterHelp makes it so easy. I love how convenient their services are. It's available you know, to clients worldwide. You can log in anytime from anywhere and send a message to your counselor. You get these timely and thoughtful responses and you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions to fit your schedule. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating those great matches. And I love that so much. It's very important to the process. And you should just hop online, visit their website, read testimonials like this one from BetterHelp user FA, who says, I just had my first session with Dr. Kennedy. 
And it was absolutely amazing. It's my first time ever doing therapy and Dr. Kennedy exceeded my expectations. One of the warmest people I've ever met. You will definitely feel comfortable as soon as you start talking to her. I recommend her to everyone and everybody. So visit betterhelp.com slash daily beans. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. You can join the over million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. We have a special offer for Daily Beans listeners. You get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash daily beans. And today's show is also brought to you by Fiverr. Look, connecting businesses with freelancers is how the world works. And it's so important, but it can be hard to find really good freelancers, especially when they go rogue. But Fiverr Business takes the stress out of group projects by making it easy to find and manage top talent. Fiverr Business, they give you access to an all-star team of super freelancers, plus all the tools and support you need to easily integrate into your current workflow. It's a no-brainer. So when it's time to nail your next big brand refresh or product launch, Fiverr is covering all your bases for you. You know, if you're hoping to grow your team in business, I really recommend getting Fiverr Business's help here. I've used them for a couple of product launches, and it's been seamless and incredible. I've found that managing a growing business can get complicated quickly, but they bring it all together for you at Fiverr Business. It simplifies working with multiple freelancers. They match you with the best talent for every project. So stop wasting time searching for talent. Leave it to Fiverr Business. No more endless guessing and weird interviews. Plus, you can save and share your favorite freelancers for future projects. It's a simple way to set your business up for success and vastly increase productivity. Collaborating online hasn't been easy since, well, ever. And right now, you can sign up for Fiverr Business absolutely free for the first year. Get one free year and save 10% on your purchase of Fiverr Business with promo code DAILYBEANS. Just go to Fiverr, F-I-V-E-R-R dot com slash business and use promo code DAILYBEANS. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking with the author of the new book coming out Tuesday, July 20th. You can pre-order it now. It's called Becoming Heroines, Unleashing Our Power for Revolution and Rebirth. Elizabeth Cronize McLaughlin. Elizabeth, before the break, we were talking about sort of building up this thick skin, being a public facing figure, having your story out there. And then, of course, the inevitable attacks that come because there are people who want to keep the patriarchy as a status quo because it works for them. And in your book, you talk about this sort of over the over the course of four sections, there are these four stages. And I want to talk about those uh, a little bit. You, you say that these are recognition, reconciliation, revolution, and rebirth. What, what kind of put your brain into putting it into four categories, these four stages? Can we start with recognition? Yeah, absolutely. So recognition is really um, the place that many of us come to at multiple points in our lives where we realize that things cannot continue as they are. Um, and we may not know at that point wh- where they need to go, but we know that what we are living through has become intolerable. Um, one of the turning points that was a big point of recognition for a lot of women who maybe had not been politically active before that point was the morning after the 2016 election. Um, and so that what I talk about in that section is the fact that once we become aware that things are not as they seemed and that things need to change and we are being called to a part of the journey that changes that, that's not the end of the story, right? We have to actually start doing our own work that will allow us to then be a part of the process of change for ourselves and for other people. So recognition is really the first part of the book. And it's about, uh, we have a principle we talk about at the Gaia Project for Women's Leadership, which is that when you change the inner, you change the outer. And that all of the work that we do in the world as activists and leaders and organizers and 
thought leaders, um, podcasters, uh, has to start with our own self-awareness about what we bring to the table and also about the messaging that we've internalized. So a big chunk of that section is about what have you been taught by the culture about what's possible for you as a woman, trans or cis? Um, or a, a non-binary person. What what have you what have you been instructed from birth uh, in terms of what you are allowed to do and what you are not allowed to do? And what are the ways in which you are talking to yourself about those things that may be limiting the impact that you can have in the world for the betterment of yourself and other people? Um, you know, one of the things that's really key, by the way, to this point in the book, is that um, we've measured what success looks like for women by traditional masculine models of success. So it's like money, title, hierarchy, um, you know, all those traditional standards. And I'm really of the view that that script has to be flipped, that really what success has to look like um, for all of us is about whether we're using our gifts for the greater good and we're making the most impact that we can. We're living fully into the reason why we're here. Um, and so that the first section of the book is really about recognizing that and coming to terms with the ways in which you've been silenced and limited by the culture itself. Mm. And then I feel like also going on into later stages here that you you sort of address how to overcome a lot of the things that tend to limit us as trauma survivors, you know, within our own brains, pretty much like feeling like a fraud, feeling like an imposter, feeling like you aren't a thought leader, for example. Can you, can you talk about uh, like a little bit about how we're in the process overcoming those types of things? I think that's in the in early stages. Yeah. So the second section, it's actually overcoming trauma and working with trauma is the very opening part of the second section of the book, which is reconciliation. And so reconciliation is really about reconciling with yourself and also with others. Um, and I should just mention that, you know, the way that this format, by the way, that we're talking through right now came to be is that it maps onto the four different types of oppression. So, um, systemic oppression, institutional oppression, interpersonal oppression, and then internalized oppression. So, uh, you flip those in the reverse and you're getting the four stages of how we address those. So reconciliation is really reconciling with our own trauma, which is really about what the world has done to us. And then also with reconciling how we have been used by structures of oppression to perpetrate it. So um, if you think about this, for instance, in the ways in which we see women be com complicit in systemic forms of oppression, right? We see, um, you know, women tear down other women. We mm -hmm. see women who have broken through the glass ceiling, make it harder on the women coming up behind them than on the men. Um, that's all about internalizing the lessons that we've been taught. And so part of the work that we all need to do um, in order to really understand how this can change is to understand the ways in which patriarchy and white supremacy want to use us, right? Um, to do the dirty work. And so some of that has to do with trauma, right? Because for instance, if you were hazed coming up through your professional life um, and your, the way that you coped with that was by saying, I have to be tough enough to take it. And then you succeed the lesson that you were taking from that is I have to be, I, I'm exceptional, first of all, because patriarchy wants you to believe that because you met the tiny little window of possibility of what it will grant to women and others. Um, and also that therefore anybody, who, anybody else who can't meet that metric is not as worthy as you are. That lesson right there is all about internalized oppression. And so oh, yeah. when we overcome the trauma of our own experiences and recognize really, um, that 
the things that we have been put through, the violence that has been that has been perpetrated on us, and I mean that emotionally, spiritually, and physically, um, is about it's about oppressive structures having that field day. When we recognize that it's not about us, but it's really about what we're living in, mm-hmm. then it becomes easier to offload that trauma and also not allow ourselves to be used in furtherance of it. Because we can say the experiences that I lived through, for instance, in this example of being hazed and mistreated and abused are not things that I have to replicate. I can decide that because it was done to me, rather than that making me exceptional, it's a part of how the system works, right? And I don't have to do that to other people. I don't have to allow my like other people to experience through me what I experience through others. So the whole section on reconciliation is really about moving through uh, um, hard conversations, understanding why intersectionality is so important, understanding why our interpersonal relationships as women have to be about working together and lifting one another up. Now, by the way, there's an exception to this, which is that like, I'm not talking about Ivanka Trump, right? No, no, no. no. (laughs) I'm talking about women who are committed, right? To ending systemic oppression. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about women working together rather than buying the line that there's only so much room for a certain tiny fraction of us at whatever the top of what we're aiming for might be. And that really, when one of us wins, we all do. Yeah. Uh, And when I was reading this particular section, what really hit home for me was, you know, that first of all, recognizing and then understanding how you've been used to help divide women and keep keep us down. And and th- that's a very personal point to me because I was so after my sexual assault in the military, I was so convinced by these men that this was my fault, that it was bad judgment on my part, that I shouldn't have been drinking. I shouldn't have been flirting. I was so in my core of my being convinced that when my best friend was assaulted, their words came out of my mouth. Well, why? Why did you invite him over? Why were you flirting? What were you wearing? You guys were drinking. You should know better, et cetera. And that is how they use us to have us do their dirty work, like you said, to try to keep each other down and breaking out of that, recognizing it and breaking out of it is such an important thing. And then we can move into the third and fourth phase. uh, after, And that's just one thing. I mean, there's lots of stuff we have to go through. Yes. (laughs) But uh, then we get to the final phases here where we talk about revolution and rebirth, which I think are this is the slam dunk part of the book. I mean, the whole book is incredible, but it's like. Mm, Like, here's how. Okay, we've got all that. Here's how we can use this going forward and not just in our own interpersonal lives, but in protecting democracy, in smashing the patriarchy, however you want to, you know, whatever (laughs) bumper stickers you want to say. And white supremacy, Mm -hmm. because, I, I, you know, frankly, I think white women have not done enough on that front, period. So So we've got a couple minutes here uh, and I don't want to give too much of this, the ending of this book away. Uh, But talk if you could talk a little bit about it. And then I would like for you to tell everybody where they can follow you and where they can get this pre-order, pre-order it now you're going to want it the day that it comes out. So let's let's start there. <laughs> yeah. So the third and fourth uh, sections of the book, as you mentioned, are revolution and rebirth. And re- revolution is really the place where we take all the things that we've learned from doing the internal work and we apply them to to change systems and structures and institutions that don't serve us. Um, and that includes in politics and policy. It includes um, in terms of how we advocate for others and for ourselves. And it 
also includes in our own lives because my personal view is that there is no revolution that is not personal. Um, we have to be willing to overthrow the things in our own lives that aren't working, um, that, that tolerating things in our own lives that we wouldn't tolerate for our friends or other women or other people generally is mandatory and that we've really got to take into our bones the idea that the personal is political and vice versa. Um, And the last section of the book is really about rebirth and what we're building toward and how we do that, how we vision that together, how we work together to build it, what it would look like. Um, And so that it's, it's the part of the book that honestly, um, takes us into the unknown, uh, with the understanding that we've all, we're all in it together. Um, but toward the direction of, a world where all of us are free. And I mean that in, you know, the old school civil rights version of it, where we're really all free to be who we are, free from violence, free from harm, um, and living into the, our most innate possibility. So um, I, I think the book ends on a high <laughs> note. <laughs> That's my hope. <laughs> no, it does. And I love that, you know, there's work. It There is. There's work. And, mm-hmm. and much like a democracy, it is an action. Yes. It's an act. And... I think that apathy in inner apathy and then democratic apathy or like civic apathy is what is yes. what got us into trouble in the first place. So I think if, you know, you, you kind of think of these things as they're they're different, but they're one in the same. There's a lot of work and there's a lot of action and there's continued learning and education and and growth. And that rebirth can happen again and again. And I think that that's so just well succinctly put in your book. And I encourage everybody, where can, where can they get it? I mean, obviously wherever books are sold, Amazon is like, wherever books are sold, you're like the best thing ever. And there's, I love it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, it's, this is the benefit of having it published by Penguin Random House is that everywhere you can get it. There's also an audio Audio version that I recorded myself that um, that was a really great experience. So you can get an audiobook um, or a hard copy wherever books are sold. And um, you can, of course, um, find everything about our book tour and the book itself on my personal website, which is emaglaughlin.com. Awesome. And we're going to follow you on, on the socials because you are a great follow for this kind of information. Thank you. You can find me on social at emaglaughlin as well on Twitter and emaglaughlin on Instagram. I am no longer on Facebook, so I will not direct anyone (laughs) over there for all sorts of obvious reasons. But um, my Twitter is the place where I'm the most active. And that is ecmclaughlin.com, ecmclaughlin on Instagram. Yeah, coming off Facebook was part of the reconciliation process. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much. This is a truly uh, a groundbreaking uh, book, and I, I encourage everybody to get a copy. It's called Becoming Heroines, Unleashing Our Power for Revolution and Rebirth. Thank you so much, Elizabeth Cronice McLaughlin. Thank you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. It's AG, and this segment of The Beans is brought to you by Stamps.com. Probably my biggest pet peeve is having my time wasted. It's, it's annoying. It's valuable to me. I'm running out of it. So don't waste my time. And I also hate when my money is wasted. So that's why you need to use Stamps.com. There's no need to go to the post office anymore and waste all that time. Mailing and shipping online at Stamps.com is easy and accessible and convenient. They allow you to mail and ship anytime, anywhere, right from your computer. You can send letters, ship packages, and you pay a lot less with discounted rates from the Postal Service and UPS and more. Stamps.com has saved businesses thousands of hours and tons of money. And you get the services of the post office and UPS all in one place. Plus, you get those big bulk discounts on mailing and shipping rates. I found their service extremely smooth and efficient, very user-friendly. It's a must-have for any business, whether you're a small office sending out invoices or a huge giant warehouse sending out thousands of packages a day. Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. 
Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. And once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or a drop-off. It's that simple. With Stamps.com, you get discounts of up to 40% off post office rates and up to 62% off UPS shipping rates. So Stamps.com is a no-brainer, saves you time and money. It, no wonder nearly a million small businesses already use Stamps.com. So stop wasting time going to the post office and go to Stamps.com instead. There is no risk. And with promo code DAILYBEANS, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial. Plus, they'll send you some free postage and they'll send you a digital scale. There are no long-term commitments. There are no contracts. Just go to Stamps.com. You click on that little microphone at the top of the homepage, type in Daily Beans, all one word. That's Stamps.com and promo code Daily Beans. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. And today's show is also brought to you by Caliper CBD. Taking care of yourself, self-care should not add to your stress. That defeats the purpose. That is why I love Caliper CBD. Since I've been taking it, I've noticed an improvement in my stress levels and my overall sense of calm. The best part is Caliper CBD gives me all the benefits without changing my routine. No stress. It's so convenient because they've created an easy-to-use, more effective CBD powder. There are 20 milligrams in each pouch, so you know exactly how much you're taking. And but the powder is the only clinically proven fast-acting CBD because tinctures and oils can take an hour before you feel their effects. But Caliper, they deliver 30 times more CBD in the first 30 minutes. And it's tested rigorously for purity and quality at every step of the way. It's developed by food and science experts with decades of experience. There's no weird taste and no oily residue. And because it's not oily, it mixes easy in food or drink. And it's been so easy to integrate this CBD powder and Caliper CBD into my routine. I just put some in my morning coffee or an after-workout protein shake. It's had such a positive impact in my life that my friends and family have noticed. And it's always THC-free so I can feel better without getting high. And the great thing about Caliper is it comes in those convenient, easy-to-use packs. And they're all natural, vegan, non-GMO, free of fillers, free of added chemicals, and no artificial flavors. You can get 20% off your first order when you use promo code DAILYBEANS at trycaliper.com slash dailybeans. You can try Caliper CBD risk-free for 30 days. No risk. If you don't love it, they will give you a full refund. So you have nothing to lose. So just go to trycaliper.com slash dailybeans. And don't forget promo code DAILYBEANS at checkout for 20% off your first order. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Ah, good news on a Thursday evening. Uh, this is going to be good. I, it's always the highlight of my week, so <laughs> it's the highlight of my days. I get to hear other people's good news, and it just makes everything better. It is so much fun. And and if you have any good news stories or confessions, or you want to play any of our games like Misheard Song Lyrics or Wet the Mutt, or share some great swears from your childhood or yesterday, we also have a game called Find the Cat, where you send in a photo and we have to find the cat. I love all this. Town Twisters Limericks. As is as uh, you can do all that by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. And our first submission is from anonymous pronouns he and him. He wants to play the blank as blank game, you know, like as American as apple pie. Uh, He says Australian shorten everything. Here's how an Australian would complete the blank as blank game. Aussie as. That's it. (laughs) That's it. That's all we need. Because we know exactly what it means to be an Aussie. Well, thank you very much for that submission. Well, there you have it. All right. This one's from Sarah, pronounced she and her. Supercast subscriber here. In April, my fiance and I bought a house. We just got around to pulling up the stinky carpet in the bedrooms. We weren't sure what we'd find since the people who sold it to us said they didn't know. Lucky us. It's hardwood. All we need to do is sand and stain it. Oh, that's always the best. I've been told it's kind of a daunting task, but I figure we have my fiance's office to practice on and make mistakes in. (laughs) 
then the other two rooms will turn out great. Thanks for high quality information and laughs, Sarah. It is always worth it. A good hardwood floor. Uh, it's the best. <laughs> I like how you're going to. It's the best. It's a good find. It is a good find. Practice on his office. That's great. I love yeah. it. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I've, I've bought a couple of old houses. You pull that carpet up and you see that hardwood under there and that's just like gold. Yeah. So congrats. Next up from anonymous pronouns, he and him. Hey, Allison and Bean team. That's you, Dana and Amy. I was listening to your sisters in pod at Gaslit Nation last week, and they referred to Alan Weisselberg as Alan Weaselberg. <laughs> I like it. I thought that pronunciation more accurately reflects the actual person who is the CFO of the Trump crime organization. And with respect, suggest you might want to adopt the pronunciation as well. I like it. I like it very I'm much. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. It's adopted. Yeah. Or tip of the Weiselberg, as it were. Or tip of the Weaselberg. <laughs> okay. <so. laughs> exactly. No, that's a really great nickname. I really like big ups to our, our friends over at Gaslit Nation. He continues. Also, I'm attaching pictures of my holiday themed kitties. Bandit with the Easter bunny, bunny and the bandit and wild child with a pumpkin for Halloween. Holiday themed pet pictures might be a good idea for a new submissions category. Mm-hmm. I agree. So if you have a holiday themed mm-hmm. pod pet tax, <laughs> which is what that hmm, looks like what the cat is doing here in this first picture. What a sweetheart. Oh, my gosh. It was almost also a find the cat in the second picture because the cat's black and all I saw was pumpkins for a second. Those are cool, though. I like the gold glitter pumpkins. They're very pretty. So is the kitty. All right. This is from James. Pronounce he him. Great to hear Amanda on the show again. I trust Dana made good use of her day away. Some clarification on Pauline Bauer's claim about artificial version of herself. The sovereign citizen claim that the government creates, quote, artificial versions of them doesn't refer to robot duplicates of running around, but that your birth certificate establishes a corporate identity legally distinct from the actual physical self. Okay. They use weird spellings of their names because they claim the all cap spelling on the birth certificate only refers to the legal entity and their alternate spellings refers to themselves separate from the legal person. Some version of Sovset is what they shorten it to, even claim that each legal entity has an associated secret treasury account containing millions of dollars. And that if you say the right legal words and present the right legal documents, you can claim the account for your physical self. Now, Wikipedia has a good write up under straw man theory. If you want more details, keep up the excellent reporting. Without it, I'd never be able to keep track of the flood of bizarre news coming out of the United States. <laughs> Oh, James. I don't know if this is James Broadbent or not, but that is fascinating. So it's not clones, artificial versions. It's that your birth certificate represents a corporate entity and you're the actual flesh and blood person. Okay. I mean, if that story hasn't been greenlit in some writer's room, someone needs to do it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And uh, I remember when I was, oh God, I must have been 19 years old. And my friend Daryl and I were hanging out at his house. We walk into his house and his dad is there cleaning out all of his, like cleaning all of his guns. Like he's got like 10 guns and he's cleaning all of his guns. And I'm like, wow, what? A, that's a lot of guns. He's like, yeah. I'm like, what are all those guns for? And he looked at me like I was dumb and went, the revolution. Duh. <laughs> I went, okay. And so I asked Daryl later, I'm like, what's up with your dad? And he's like, oh, he thinks he's a sovereign citizen, alien, resident alien that's not part of the United <laughs> States. And um, we just, we just let him sort of, you know. <laughs> okay. So yeah, I've I've actually had come in contact with a couple of these folks personally in my life. So that's very interesting. We have one final submission. You wanna you wanna take it? Sure, because it's from a concerned lesbian lawyer. 
Can you figure out a way, this is such a brilliant submission to end with, can we figure out a way to donate frequent flyer miles to women in need of abortion services so they can get out of Texas and take care of what they need to do? I think we should. Uh, if, if the Texas law passes, we can also go to jail for it, apparently. Fuckers. Yeah, or be sued. We yeah, could be or be sued, sued for it. But yeah, I think that's a great idea. I have a ton of miles and I would be more than happy to donate some to someone in need or... I'd also be happy to drive to Texas and go on a road trip if anyone wants to go on a road trip with me to a sunnier state in California. Yeah. And, and there's already issues because there's so few abortion clinics in Texas. Yeah. So, you know, some people have to drive five hours one way to Dallas. It's just so bizarre to me. It's so antiquated and Margaret Atwoody, this whole concept. And then you throw into the mix that citizens can sue and get $10,000 rewards for the government oh, if yeah. their lawsuits are successful. Oh, that's just terribly frightening. Oh, but- my brain went somewhere even more scary. And that's that men that will intentionally pregnate women mm-hmm. so that they can actually that don't want to be pregnant so that they can get the reward, claim the monies because they're not responsible. So such bullshit. Well, this is a good question. And I don't know the legal ins and outs of this. So I'll do a little research. I'll talk to some folks. But that would be fantastic to be able to donate frequent flyer miles. Yeah, I wonder if there's a way to do that. So many of the, you know, so many of these credit card companies are like, nope, you can only use them for yourself or you maybe you can get a voucher for another person. But maybe if we put together a big account under some sort of corporate entity. That's a good idea. And then... limited the liability so that only it could be sued if this law goes into effect, which I don't think it will. I hope it doesn't. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we'll see. Good idea, Adrian. Something to think about. It's a good submission for my concerned lesbian lawyer in Texas. (laughs) Oh, maybe not in Texas, but concerned with Texas. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, big ups to the Texas Dems on, on their voting rights stand. Legislative Um, fugitives. If someone hasn't made a band... A band that someone hasn't started a band called Legislative Fugitives. I know. We're missing an opportunity. The actual Texas Democrats should start a band yep. called the Legislative Fugitives. I would go see that. And then all the money raised could be towards voting rights. Well, we know Beto's a rock star. He was in a band when he was, so might as well, he should, he confront it. He can he yeah. confront the band. He's a good front man. That's right. I'm for it. Let's do it. All right. If you have any uh, suggestions or uh, corrections, good news stories, anything you want to share with us, Perhaps the new game where you show us your pets in in holiday photos or even dressed up. Those are my favorite ones when people like put their dog in full regalia and and take photos. I love those. You can send them to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Dana, do you have any uh, final thoughts before we get out of here today for the weekend? Well, for your weekend? I do not. Well, me for the weekend. Yeah, no, I will miss you all and take care of yourselves, please. And I'll be back in your ears Monday morning. As I do. Awesome. Everybody, until then, well, actually, uh, I'll be here tomorrow with Amy Carrero. And so speaking of that, if you have any disputes you want settled in Amy's court, you can send them to us. Also, same place, dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. Until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been Allison Gill. And I've been Dana Goldberg. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for the Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.